Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We're going to be looking at Genesis, chapter 1, starting in verse 26 to the end of the chapter. And hear now the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, something you might know about me, I really enjoy cooking. Uh, and I started really cooking when I was like in middle school, you know, really simple things. And so back when I was a middle schooler, a friend was coming over. We had one of those boxed cake mixes. So I decided, I'm going to bake a cake. Made the cake, came out great, iced it. We're eating a slice of this cake, enjoying it together. Uh, and then my friend's like, oh, this is pretty good. Uh, is this homemade? And I was like, no, nah, I mean, I made it, but it's from the box mix. And he's like, oh, so it's not really homemade. Like, geez, that's a harsh thing to say to your friend. Uh, but there is something special, right, about something that's made from scratch, something that's homemade. You know, think about, like, you might have memories of your grandma's, you know, made from scratch pie during Thanksgiving or something like that. And you've had other pies, but it just can't seem to compare to that homemade from scratch with extra love in it. Well, when we're looking at this passage and we see God creating humanity, uh, we see this extra little bit of love, this made from scratch, this uniqueness that comes into it. So the question I want us to think about is, what can we learn about the God of the Bible from the way he created all things? And the key truth that we'll be looking at is that we see God's goodness in his careful design of all of creation and especially the image of God in all mankind. So we see when God creates man, right, he doesn't create him uh, opponent leftover parts that he's cobbling together, and well, I guess this is humanity, that's good enough. No, we see that God is taking extra special care when he creates mankind. That we can see uh, about the God of the Bible, something unique here that uh, when God creates man, he creates him with an extra special caring attitude, right? That the complexity of his crafting of humanity reveals the depth of his love for what he has created. 
Uh, in verse 26, right, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, many, many commentators, and we'll see a quote from Calvin here in a minute, uh, have highlighted that, uh, that that line there is very unique in all of Scripture. Right? That uh, with everything else God made, he just spoke it into being. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be birds, and there's birds. Let there be fish, and there's fish. But when it comes to creating humanity, there's a, there's a pausing. There's a thoughtfulness. Uh, there's a considering within the Trinity uh, of the complexity of what they're about to do, right? Uh, there's a consulting with one another in this especially important moment in the scope of all of creation, which is kind of mind-blowing because, I mean, God just created, like, the planet Jupiter a couple days before, and, you know, the mountains and the oceans, which are immensely complicated and massive things and beautiful to behold, and yet it's with mankind that God stops to give special consideration. That we too should stop and give special consideration to the care God has for us. And sometimes, if we're being honest, when we look at our world and when we see the brokenness of it and the sinfulness in it, when we see sickness and disease, when we see shootings and fires and floods, Sometimes we doubt that sense of caring. We tend to doubt that sense of consideration from God. Where is God in the midst of those moments? I mean, what is one thing in your life that you don't necessarily understand why God would choose to do it that way? You know, I love the book of Job, and uh, you know, Job goes through immense suffering, if you're familiar with it. And he asked God, God, why, why am I going through all this suffering? And his friends try to answer, and the book of Job shows his friends are really off with their theology of God. And finally, at the end of the book, God himself shows up to answer Job. But it's not the kind of answer we would expect. It's not, okay, God, tell me why you did this. Okay, well, I did it because of this, this, and this. No, God looks down at Job. I created the birds and the... When I created those oceans... Were you there when I created the birds and the fish? Were you there when I created those mountains or those planets? And the point that God is trying to make with all that is not to totally belittle Job, but to actually say, Job, I think you've forgotten that I am more intimately aware of what's going on in my creation than you could ever imagine. That I'm more intimately aware of the struggles that you are going through right now. I'm more intimately aware of the suffering that you are feeling than you really realize, that you are not alone in this. Just as God cares for the mountains and the seas and the planets and everything else, he cares even more so about us, his creation, his humanity made in his very image. We can see that the care God takes in creating us reflects what he values above all else. I know we've got a couple of members in our congregation who are really into woodworking, right? And that's one of those things where, and I look on that and I'm like, I kind of wish I was into that, but I'm a little too impatient, right? Like to be a good woodworker, you got to be patient and you got to, you know, measure twice, cut once. I'm more of a cut once, realize I should have measured twice kind of person. Uh, you got to take care in it so that it will be truly a valuable thing. 
right? But whereas I'm sure any good woodworker would admit you probably make a lot of mistakes before you get the, the final product you're truly proud of, God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't need to make a couple versions of humanity and scrap it to finally make the one that he was happy with. No, right? He created him once and fully in his image and his likeness, fully prepared for the world that he's given him. We can see the caring of our creator here and the way that he has created us. All right, but uh, why does it matter to us? What can we learn about God's creation? What can we learn about ourselves that we are made in his image? Why does it matter that we are made in his image? Well, we can see that we're a cared-for creation, right? Mankind is uniquely created and given a special role as God's image bearers. We see God calls mankind uh, to do a certain job. He gives them a certain duty, have dominion over creation. And I know uh, all the working people in here are like, oh, so you're telling me that work is not a sin? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. Actually, God gave us work before sin, right? Work is supposed to glorify God, uh, to further his creation mandate. Uh, that true and good work, right, utilizes the creativity that God has given us, right, the faithfulness uh, that he's put inside of us. We see that God values humanity and what they can create that ultimately reflects to his glory, uh, that we are a cared-for creation. Why would this matter? Well, think about the context of Genesis, uh, that God is giving this message to Moses as he's just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Right? They've just spent hundreds of years there where they were told every single day that uh, your life does not matter except uh, to work, to provide for us, the Egyptians, to serve Pharaoh, and then ultimately die and get out of the way so we can have more slaves to work for us. That your only value in this life is to be a working drone, a slave, just to grind and grind and grind until the end. And here God is coming to his people and saying, that is not true about you. That that is not my intention for humanity. That God's intention is not for you to just grind away at trying to be holy, trying to be righteous. No, God's intention, right, is to see you uh, fully transformed into your identity in Christ. To actually see that as a, a lifting of a burden instead of placing a heavier burden upon you. That our uh, servanthood, or even as the language that Paul uses in the New Testament, our slavery to Christ is one of, of joyful service, is one of freedom in him. It's one that we have immense value in God's kingdom. Whether you consider yourself uh, great in God's kingdom or the smallest member, God's treated as slaves, treated as animals their whole life, treated as cattle, we're now being told, no, that you are so much more valuable. You have worth and you have dignity. You know, in ancient Egyptian religion, uh, their actual like, creation story was that the gods created humanity to serve them as slaves. And so here God is saying, no, no, let me, let me cut right to the chase of your culture's understanding of humanity. And y'all, don't we live in a time where our culture seems very confused on uh, what we are as humans? You know, it seems like we're constantly flip-flopping in our culture. Are we just like really intelligent animals with kind of animalistic drives and that's it? But then also sometimes we get this message of, 
Like, if we just could tap into our brain power, we would be gods. And our culture seems so confused, and are we one or the other? Are we a little bit of both and? They don't know. And here God comes and says, I have an answer for you. That, yeah, you're made out of the same stuff as animals, but you're not animals. Right? You're not God, but you are made in the image of God. And yes, sin has come to mar that image and to confuse you in what you understand your identity to be. That ultimately, when Christ comes into our life, he restores our identity in himself. That we're ultimately being put on into the image of Christ Jesus. And so, we confess that, uh, you know, our culture sometimes has this confused message of what our identity is. Uh, and sometimes we feel uh, that message that we are lesser, right? Maybe someone has used language to you, painful words to you, to make you feel a little lesser in your life. I just spent the last three years uh, teaching middle schoolers. You want to talk about dehumanizing language. Uh, middle schoolers love to tear each other apart, right? And, you know, teaching them reminded me so much of my own experiences in school and how, man, sometimes you hold on to those memories of harsh words an adult gave you, a fellow classmate gave you. My own mother, uh, she grew up in a single-parent home in the projects, a really rough childhood, and people told her as a child, uh, you're never going to be able to get a job. You're never going to go to college. You'll never be married. You'll never have a family because of your childhood and, and you know, just all the things you went through in your life. I mean, think about how that sticks with you when you're young. I'm sure many of you can think of messages you've heard like that. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus has come to say, that is not true. That is not your story. Whatever message someone else in the world has tried to place on you is not the identity you've been created in. He reached out to the people of their project building they lived in. And one of the favorite things he would say to the young people of that community is that God does not make trash. God does not make trash. You know, the very last verse here is God looking at his creation and saying, this is very good. <laughs> uh, I think of that as like a proud parent holding their baby. We've got a lot of babies being born in our congregation. Yeah, you remember that moment? The baby's just been born and you look at it and there's this sense of awe, <laughs> inspiring, like, how, how did we even make this? It's, it's so good, it's so amazing, and yet I feel so insignificant in comparison to the, just the greatness of creating life, how much more so when God looks at his people and says, oh, this is, these are my children, these are my people, they're made in my image and they're very good. Some of us may struggle with that sense of being devalued, dehumanized, heard that kind of language our whole life. Maybe some of us on the flip side tend to struggle a little more with being like Pharaoh in Egypt, a little more thinking a little too highly of ourselves, wanting to make ourselves a little more godlike and devaluing others so that we could feel that way. If we're being honest, we're probably a mix of both. We struggle with insecurities. We struggle with feeling less than or devalued. And then at times to make ourselves feel better, we put others down and we'd rather trample on them. We would use our powers, whatever they may be, uh, to try to build ourselves 
up into a higher status. That God looks at both and says, look, Pharaoh, you were not a god, and slave, you were so much more. Right? That God's people have this uh, amazing uh, equality in our creation before him, uh, an equality of dignity, an equality of being made in his image. We see God's great care for us in the image that he's given us. Uh, and we see that this image, right, it, it informs so much of our theology. Honestly, we could stay here for days talking about, you know, the implications of this passage. Uh, but just to look at a few, right, I mean, when we see uh, the image of God in all creation, uh, that's really our Christian understanding uh, of the, the value we place on human life, right? The human life of all ages and stages is valuable, uh, is worthy of life, right? That we don't write people off uh, just because of, I don't know, maybe they've hit a certain age or they struggle uh, with certain physical ailments or anything like that. No, we see that inherent dignity in all of them. This is our Christian understanding of why racism is a sin, right? That no one, just because of their skin color or ethnicity, is any less than before God, right? That God sees dignity in all that he's made, and we should live that out too, right? This is why Christians uh, should, you know, fight back against things like sexism, uh, that men and women are both made in the image of God, that one is not less than the other. And we always want to be careful with these terms because our culture wants to take those and define them in certain political ways. And, you know, as God's people, we want to recognize that we never want politicians uh, to define the terms for us, right? It's God who is defining our understanding of our uh, love of life and the inherent dignity in all people, right? That we should never limit ourselves to one political position, but recognize that God calls us to actually a radical respect for all of life. Jesus always gives us the best example in this. Jesus takes it further, that not only does he die on the cross for our sins to restore our image in him, right, but then he shows us in a very practical way, what does it mean to honor the, the dignity in all human life, in all image bearers? On the night, you know, before he was going to be crucified, he brought his disciples together to have a meal with them, and then he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed their feet. This is the sign of something a servant would do in the household. The lowest member of the servants would usually have to wash their feet at the door. And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and washes their feet. And he tells them, just as I have done this for you, I want you to do this towards one another. That, you know, in our... Christianity, right, uh, we don't have statues, we don't have uh, images that we worship, because God is saying, no, 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 like, I don't want you to make an image of me, the image is right there in each and every one of you. Uh, that if you want to honor me, man, care for one another around you. Show them a Christ-like love. Wash the feet of the dirty. Be a father to the fatherless. Uh, man, that verse in particular, being a father to the fatherless, has really stuck with me recently uh, in the neighborhood we live in. Lots of kids. It's a really working-class neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, we don't always know every family situation, uh, but there's just such a hunger among the kids of our own neighborhood for, for 
father figures, mother figures, for just adult presences in their life to, to love them well. And, you know, I'll be honest, at times I'm like, oh, it's like I spend, you know, last three years I've spent all day caring for kids, and then I got to come home and, like, love even more on kids. Uh, that can be tough to love at times. And yet, man, God loves to confront me right in my own selfishness. <laughs> like, oh, okay, uh, you know, all right, Pharaoh, you're going to go off and just take a break and think that you're not also called to through and think through, how can I love the kids in my own neighborhood well? How can I be a father to the fatherless, even to just one child around me? You know, we can't, <laughs> I can't save the world, that's Jesus' job, but maybe I can be a mentor just to one nearby. Maybe I can show that servant-hearted love to just one, that Jesus wants to <laughs> cut right through our own selfishness of heart our own tendency to devalue and dehumanize one another and actually restore to us a right understanding, the image of God in all creation. That we see God's goodness in his care, uh, in his, his crafting of each and every one of us, and we see his goodness in not leaving us to our marred image and our sins, but redeeming us through his son. I want to close uh, by reading uh, this great passage from Ephesians 4, where uh, Paul is actually talking about, right, uh, laying off this old self and putting on the new self in Christ. Uh, so Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to not only bear the image of God, but also bear the image of Christ in a world that is deeply confused about their identity, a world that is deeply confused what their purpose is and whether they're loved. We want to bear that image before one another and show them that there is a God who created them with a purpose, who loves them and is calling them to put on the new self in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the good news of Jesus, uh, that we are uh, loved deeply, so loved that in our sins you would send your Son uh, to redeem us and to save us, to call us to new life. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would bear uh, the image of Christ in the world well, or that we would seek to be fathers to the fatherless, uh, Lord, that we would not devalue and dehumanize others with our words and our actions, but actually build them up and call them to a recognition of just how purposefully they were created. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts through your word, in Jesus' name, amen.